We are live, episode 95, Business and Buckets, coming at you. We got a loaded show today in the MMA context. Uh, plenty of MLB action, a little bit of NFL headlines in the offseason. Hard knocks to chat about a little bit. But uh, before we talk sports, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets. That is Fueled Supplements. So the Business Ed Buckets podcast is proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. If you're an elite athlete, a busy mom on the go, or just looking for the perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Fueled Supplements has you covered. Choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. Head to FueledSupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K. ETS. And again, you guys are, are supplementing, you're spending your, your dollars, put it into small business, avoid the GNCs, the online, you know, behemoths as well. Uh, small business, that's how we stay alive. People helping people. Thanks to Josh Morn and crew for being the sponsor here at Business and Buckets. So uh, last night was crazy. Uh, today is Wednesday, early Wednesday or early afternoon. I went to the Mariners and Yankees game wanting to see Aaron Judge, the Judge, and the loaded Yankees team in action. And uh, it went into like the 13th inning. Luis Castillo dealing. Garrett Cole dealing. Should have came to SoCal. No, I'm just kidding. He's probably happy to be in the Bronx instead. But I was cool seeing two aces. Go down Luis Castillo's first home start for the Mariners, a guy that I've always enjoyed. The Mariners have signed a lot of guys that I like. Diego Castillo a few years ago, Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray. Uh, so I enjoyed watching Luis do some damage. Uh, almost got into a pickle at the end in the seventh inning, but got out of it. Good bullpen relief. My buddy, I'm not sure if this is true, but was telling me that last night there was no fastball pitched under 95 miles an hour. So lots of velocity. A lot of beat reporters saying that's one of the best baseball games they've ever seen. It was great. It was a late night. Um, a little tough for me to get up this morning. Uh, but that was really cool. This past weekend, had another little adventure out in nature. Camping with the fam out by Mount Rainier on Rimrock, Rimrock Lake. Get a little boat action. You know, great to do that before I head to the desert. You're not going to get a lot of that beauty. Enjoying the summer in the PNW. Why you got it? Because it's it, it doesn't last long. So... Uh, that's kind of my snapshot since last week. Um, excited for really just the postseason race. I was starting to talk about the new postseason rule, the 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 new playoffs with an extra wild card. Someone was telling me that the first playoff is a best of three, and the best seed gets all three at home. So I'm gonna have to do some recon into the playoffs. We'll we'll talk talk hypothetical matchups once we get further down the line here. Uh, but let's talk what's going on in the MMA because a lot has happened. I was going to record last night, decided to wait, got to watch Hard Knocks, got to watch the Dana White Contender Series, a little bit more to chat about for this episode. But some fights have been booked. No surprise. There's always bangers being booked in the UFC, the best promotion in the world. Vulcan Ozdemir, Nikita Krylov, Nikita called for it. Made sense. They booked that. That's going to happen on that stacked Abu Dhabi card, uh, October 22nd. That's going to be what a good fight that's going to be. 
huge, uh, another huge fight for Ozdemir on his climb up the rankings. In the flyweight, Matt Schnell versus Mathus Nicolau. Uh, that's going to be another fun fight. It'll be good to see Schnell back in the octagon. Francisco Trinaldo versus Randy Brown. Randy Brown has had some bangers. See if that can continue. Cledson Rodriguez versus Vinicius Salvador, October 29th. A little more than a month away, Vinicius gets a Dana White Contender Series fight, maybe best fight ever. Comes out with a hard-fought victory, gets a contract, says, get me in, book me a fucking fight. Can't wait to see this kid. This kid is already one of my favorite fighters. I am definitely going to be following him closely. Uh, he works with Amanda Rivas and her dad. So, uh, yeah, I mean, stellar action that he had. Really good power for a flyweight. Super stoked to see what he can do moving into the UFC. All eyes on Vinicius Salvador, October 29th. Want to talk about bangers. Roman Delizzi versus Phil Haas. That's going to be must-see TV as well. And then the fight that we all expected Israel Adesanya, Alex Pieta, MSG, UFC 281. It's about to go down. I mean, I don't know if you could draw up much bigger of a fight than Pieta. I thought the last big fight draw out was the uh, Paolo Costa fight because he was undefeated, looking pretty tough. We all know how that went. Izzy embarrassed him. We'll see what will happen this time. A guy that's previously knocked out Izzy in kickboxing. Get the lighter gloves. I mean, he showed what he could do shutting the lights out of Sean Strickland. MSG is going to be crazy. Other things outside of bookings. We have the UFC returning to Rio de Janeiro in Brazil beginning of 2023. Uh, I think it's January 23rd. Jose Aldo fights Marab Diwashwili here pretty soon. He wins that. Book him up in Rio de Janeiro. Probably the winner of like Pewter Jan, Sean O'Malley. Maybe the winner of Dillashaw Aljamain in Rio de Janeiro. I mean, you can't beat that. Sam Alvey released from the UFC after his fight with a huge losing streak. The fact that he lasted in the UFC that long, props to the man. Let's look at specifics here. At 36 years old, he had finished his career with a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 fight losing streak with a draw in between. He had not won since June 1st of 2018. I mean, golly. Bravo for, for uh, keeping your career going that long in the UFC. Uriah Hall last night, an emotional response. I was up late because that Mariners game about his retirement, and, uh, I mean, to, to put it into easy words, I mean, Uriah Hall is a legend. I was at the UFC card for my birthday, 276 or whatever the hell it was, where he fought and retired. I watched Donald Cerrone retire. I watched Jessica I retire. Uh, you know, at my age, going through this in the NFL, you're seeing a lot of the the st mainstays leave. Now you got the young kids. It's happening in MMA right now as well. But I mean, Uriah Hall, ultimate fighter, black zillion, legit, legitimate, must see knockout ability. I think he had a spinning heel kick knockout. 
He had a 77% finish rate with 15 knockouts, 19 fights in the promotion. He tied with uh, legends Anderson Silva and Tiago Santos for the most knockouts in the middleweight division. I mean, he was just a guy that I always enjoyed. He was a respectful fighter. He was really about like the dojo, treating people the right way, good mentality. The fact that I got to see his last fight, I got to see Cowboy's last fight against a very good Jim Miller for the most wins in UFC history. And then Jessica, I mean, it's crazy. Um, I thought Uriah Hall would probably fight at least one or two more times. I don't know if the contract situation had anything to do with it. But, uh, you know, bless bless up to Uriah Hall. Thank you for an amazing career. I really enjoyed him as a fight fan. Let's look at a couple of his last fights here. I mean, that scrap against Andre Muniz, that was great. Ended up in unanimous decision. Chris Weidman didn't last very long. Anderson Silva, you know, kind of blessed Anderson Silva. Christoph Jotko had some great fights with Robert Whitaker and Derek Brunson. Gregor Musasi, when he was still in the UFC and defeated him. Um, Tiago Santos, Kevin Gastelum at the Ultimate Fighter, which was John Jones, Chell Sonnen. I mean, legit. But uh, yeah, uh, amazing career. Sad to see him go. Uh, happy to see him be happy. In other news, there was three contracts awarded on last night's Dana White Contender Series Episode 3. A great flyweight matchup. A UFC-level flyweight matchup. Clayton Carpenter ended up getting the win and the contract. He had fought Brandon Moreno's sparring partner, Edgar Chariz. And it was a great fight, back and forth, three-round, grinded out. Carpenter had a huge mouse under his eye and bruise. Got the job done, got the contract. I'm sure we'll see Edgar Chárez again, maybe Ultimate Fighter, maybe another Dana White Contender Series. He'll be in the UFC in no time. Uh, some talented flyweights coming in the UFC, man. That division's getting more interesting as the years go on. Bo Nickel, huge, huge prospect. Only 1-0 in professional fighting. Penn State legend, I've talked about him multiple times. Gets a fast victory. Guys tries to come out with the flying knee, takes him down, gets a guillotine, locks it up, and that's all she wrote. You didn't get to see a lot, though. We didn't get to see him strike. Dana offered him another Dana White Contender Series fight as there is like 12 weeks or something like that. They're on week three. He has eight weeks for another fight because he is only 2-0. Um, Bo Nickel, though, I respect him. I'm always pro wrestler. I love my wrestlers. But uh, just coming off so goddamn cocky and arrogant, you know, I could use a little bit of humbleness. I know he wants to be great. He's acting the part. Fake it till you make it. But just a little bit, right? Be a little bit more humane. I, I liked in Jorge Masvidal's YouTube channel when he was prepping for some big fights. He was doing some vlogging. Bo seemed like a really, you know, great guy. But on the mic, it was just rubbing, rubbing people the wrong way, I think. Eric Silva, Jamal Pogues, also getting contracts. They even issued a guy from the week before a contract, Shannon Ross, who fought Venetia Salvador. Um, amazing fight. He ended up fighting with uh, appendicitis, had to go to the hospital. I think Dana White just loved the showing, loved the grit, and said, hey, let's get this guy a fucking contract. In the PFL this past Friday, not a lot of action that I cared about. Anthony Pettis fighting ex-UFCer. 
He had blamed the first fight on Stevie Ray to not, you know, saving it up for the playoffs. Well, he fights Stevie Ray again and gets worked, gets out-wrestled. Not very impressive. This week, weekend, we have another PFL playoff action, welterweights and heavyweights. Uh, we have Rory McDonald, ex-UFC veteran, versus Magomed Umolotov, who's 12-0. Should be a great fight. We have some Bellator action. Bellator 284. Neiman Gracie, one of the Gracie, you know, one of the legends in the tree, versus Goiti Yamuchi. Valentin Moldovsky versus Steve Mori, who's 10-0. And then Austin Vanderford. You probably know him from Paige Van Zandt. Um, her on her social medias, her titties up. But Austin Vanderford versus Aaron Jeffrey. That should be a good fight opening up the main card on Saturday as well. I believe it's Saturday. Let me double check. PFL's Friday. I do know that. Let's see. Bellator on Friday. PFL Saturday. Got that backwards. It's, it's kind of unique. And in the world of mixed martial arts, some boxing news. Tyson Fury ends his retirement and eyes Derek Chisora trilogy fight. He hasn't fought him in forever. Chisora hasn't really done anything. Why retire? Have that whole big thing in Wembley Stadium to come back and fight this guy. This is why boxing is just not very relevant. It's kind of annoying. And then this just in, Chris Cyborg to make boxing deb debut against Simone Silva September 25th in Brazil. So we'll see Chris Cyborg grace the boxing ring as well. But uh, yeah, Tyson Fury, I wasn't very excited about that. Uh, it's like, come on, man. But let's talk about this week's fight night card. 100% finish rate. You want submissions. You want knockouts. This fight night card had it for you. Some fights that we did not break down. There was a quick win by Myra Bueno Silva. Corey McKenna, very young prospect with a nice win. And Michael Olegzuk. Ultimate Fighter had its finales. Juliana Miller, the lady that I picked to win. Used her length, used her scrappiness to get the victory. She is a lot of fun to watch. She's going to be great in the UFC. Just a girl that literally loves to fucking bang. Just let me bang, bro. She wants to bang. She fucking outgrits you. Uh, she'll pull you into the deepest, darkest waters. And you got to love that about her. Um, we also had Kamaro Usman's younger, bigger brother with a big counter right hand to get the finish against Pagua. He is also the ultimate fighter champion, the first brothers to do so in the UFC. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not super impressed with them. He's got the grid. He is fucking yoked. Uh, he gets to work under the umbrella of his brother. I'm sure he will figure it out. So we get Juliana Miller, uh, Usman's younger, bigger brother. I'm blanking on his first name right now, uh, but they won on this card. Uh, but very impressive. Uh, win by Juliana Miller. I'm not sure if Brogan was still having the knee injury or what, but she did not really impress me for how hyped up she was on the show. I picked the other guy, Zach Palga, to beat Usman, by the way. But in the prelims, a little ultimate fighter veteran, Brian Battle, with a first-round knockout over Takashi Sato, earned him a performance of the night bonus. And boy, oh boy, this was the former Ultimate Fighter champion, first fight in welterweight. He was a bigger, kind of overweight guy. You could see in the Ultimate Fighter, they kind of digested his history a little bit. 
He has gotten into better shape and now finds himself going down from middleweight to welterweight. And this one did not take long. He is a very long, lanky fighter for this weight class. And he showed it. I mean, he completely knocked the lights out of Takashi Soto with a massive right kick that literally put shin on chin. And that's a recipe to get knocked the fuck out. Very impressive knockout by Brian Battle. It only took him seven total and significant strikes with that knockdown. And Takashi only landed two total and significant strikes. Brian is now on a nine-fight winning streak, three of them in the UFC. Takashi is on a three-fight losing streak and hasn't won since June of 2020. So what's next for these guys? Brian Battle called for Ian Gary. Um, I could see somebody maybe like Nicholas Dalby or Andre Fialho. He is new to the division, is on a nice winning streak, has looked impressive. Those are still good names, people that have a lot of UFC uh, experience, tough opponents. Um, and for Takashi, he's on a three-fight losing streak. He hasn't fought in a while. Um, I didn't really think about who he has next. Um, it's going to be the bottom of the barrel here. In the main card, another very hyped fighter, Terrence McKinney, with a first-round submission via rear naked choke over Eric Gonzalez. I believe he was a minus 1,000 favorite for this fight, which is also insane. Um, but yeah, he landed some big shots right out the gate. Terrence is aggressive. That's how he fights. Um, Eric was kind of just backpedaling and eating him. He had to try to earn some respect. He did land a big shot that shook McKinney and had me jumping out of my chair. I was like, oh shit, here we go. But McKinney got the job done. He went to his wrestling, found the back of Gonzalez and put the ghost pepper flame out. But statistically, it only took Terrence 23 total and 18 significant strikes with that takedown and submission attempt compared to Eric's 10 total and 9 significant. T-Rex just had a baby. Congrats to you. Spokane, you know, he's right down the way in eastern Washington. Props to you. Congrats on having the baby. He literally was on the MMA hour with Ariel Hawani talking about it while about to give birth. I mean, what a legend that T-Rex is. You can't get enough of him. He is now on a new winning streak after losing to Drew Dober. He is 2-1 and one in 2022. He's already had three fights this calendar year. I would assume takes some time off with the baby, but he's a savage. Who knows? And Eric is now on a two-fight losing streak after the two-fight winning streak he had. I would love to see Terrence McKinney against Patty the Batty, as he called for. But two up-and-coming prospects, I highly doubt that happens. They, th th you know, If they're going to fight, I could see a crash course way down in the future. So I could see him taking on someone like Mark DeCasey or Jamie Malarkey. Still two tough guys. I mean, the lightweight division is brutally deep, brutally skilled. You cannot have a lack of fights here. And for Gonzalez, Mike Breeden makes sense to me. So... We started the night 2-0. I've been on a heater. 11-1, 8-1 the past two cards. Then we had Sergey Spivak with a second round TKO over Augusto Sakai. And this fight went exactly how I predicted in my head. Spivak came out. He wanted to get Sakai against the cage. He continually found leg sweep takedowns in both rounds, which clearly as a heavyweight, you know, that's going to tire you out. And he did land some big shots finally in the second round to get the finish because he didn't get to do a whole lot in the first. 
And that's what you you expected. I mean, Sakai had a couple decent strikes when he when he had a chance, but Spivak had him in in range to clinch him, grind him, tire him out, and that's a great way to victory. It only took Sakai only landed 14 total and eight significant strikes, compared to Sergey's 86 total and 33 significant strikes, and he did have six takedowns in eight attempts. So really didn't have a lot of complication trying to sweep him or take him down. He did have a submission attempt as well. Now, Sakai extends his losing streak to four and is not in a great situation as he drops out of the top uh, 15 rankings with a four-fight losing streak. Brutal. Uh, Sergey is on a two-fight winning streak after losing to Tom Aspinall and moves into the rankings at number 12. I'm sure he's hyped about that. So what's next for these guys? How about Spivak versus Blagoy Ivanov? Or Chris Dacus. I think those would be fun fights. Nice step up for him. And for Sakai, I could see him taking on Jake Collier. Well, this is where shit got interesting. I love Jeff Neal. I've been hyped on him. I, I've, I've picked him to lose the past few fights. He's shoved it in my face. And to be honest, both of those fights have cost me a lot in my parlays. Because uh, this one landed, I was going to make a pretty penny. Uh, the one fight I got wrong for the night, Jeff Neal, hands of steel Neal, with a third round TKO over Vicente Luque, another performance of the night bonus. And, uh, I mean, round one, it was a surprise. It, it re really reminisced me and brought me back to Nunez Pena that just happened. As Neal came out putting on a striking clinic. He put those hands of steel to use. And uh, Luque, I mean, he got knocked down twice. It looked like it was going to be a short night in the office. And this was the cleanest striking that I've seen from Neil this far in his UFC career, which I believe he's just now in his prime anyways. He's been thrown to the wolves for sure. He's fought in a lot of good competition. 31 years old, just now in his fighting prime, and it is paying off as hands of steel looks like a contender. But round two was crazy, man. I mean, as big of a, a clinic Jeff put on, he kind of calmed down. He even said in the MMA hour later that, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that, you know, put round two in for a win. I'm pacing well. But he gave a opportunity for Luke to come back. Luke was landing some big body kicks. Neil was forced to try some takedowns. You could tell that Neil was getting a little gassed out as well. So round three, Jeff came out with those big shots again, came out aggressive, put those hands of steel to use. He rocked Luke. Luke, I'm surprised, was even alive. He does have a good chin. And Neil just uppercut, 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 hook. Up. I mean, it was savagery. He ended up getting the finish. Jeff Neil, awesome streak that he's on right now. Couldn't be more proud of him, even though you've cost me some money. Statistically, Luke landed 97 total and significant strikes compared to Jeff's 125 total and 121 significant strikes. How about that volume? He did have a takedown and two knockdowns as well. So now Jeff is on a two-fight winning streak, again, in his prime after a very tough two-fight losing streak. He does move up five spots in the rankings to number eight, while Vicente extends his losing streak to two and drops three spots in the rankings to number nine. I would love to see Jeff Neal 
take on Michael Chiesa or Shavat Rakamanov. Those would be great fights. Uh, Chiesa, another veteran, been up and down. Shavat coming into the rankings, undefeated, would be a great opponent. For Luke, how about Neil Magny or Li Jingliang? I think either of those, again, in this weight class, bangers to go around. You're in the top 15. Automatic banger alert. And then the main event, Jamal Hill with a fourth-round knockout over Tiago Santos. This was the fight of the night, which comes to no surprise. You saw this get booked. You get a little excited. And um, the fight went a little differently than I thought. I thought Jamal might knock his lights out a little bit earlier. I thought Tiago would go to more leg kicks. And right out the gate, Hill started with a very wide, like, karate-like, uh, Stephen Thompson-like stance. And I thought that was bad news. I was like, Tiago is going to chop that leg the fuck away. And he even went for some takedowns, which is not normal for him. But round two, chaos began, right? These guys, these guys are brawlers deep down in their heart. That's part of them. And this became a street fight. Both fighters landing huge shots, huge kicks, straight fucking chaos. And that was after a bunch of wrestling um, from Santos. Because you could tell that kind of grinded him out. He's not typically a wrestler. He found the opening. Hill had the wide stance. But it got turned into a bar fight again, round three. Um, and Hill was able to land a big shot in round four. Because I think all that wrestling Tiago had had kind of drained his cardio tank. And when that happens, it's a little bit easier to get rocked. But Hill lands a big shot. All that wrestling was gonzo for Tiago. And uh, Jamal... Sweet dreams with a huge win. TKO, not a clean knockout, um, but huge win for Jamal as he continues to go from Dana White Contender Series into contention. Banger, though. I mean, Santos is just fucking huge. His frame, the big hammer on his chest. I would not want to fuck with that guy. Big props to Jamal Hill. Huge win for him. Statistically, it took uh, Santos 56 total and 53 significant strikes. He had six takedowns, although 20 attempts. I mean, that, that'll do it to you come round four. Hill knew it, and he per turned it right back into a bar fight. Um, Hill had 130 total, so almost tripled his output with 89 significant strikes. So Hill now, winning streak to three, moves up four spots in the rankings to number six. Santos now drops two in a row. He has one in five in his last six fights. Although he has fought Murder's Row. And he drops three spots in the rankings to number nine. So what's next for these big guys? I would love to see Hill versus Ankalaev. But supposedly Ankalaev is going to fight Jan Blachowicz. Glover is going to rematch Jan. Rakic is going to be out for some time. He is kind of put in purgatory. I really don't know what's going to be next for him. Santos versus Dustin Jacoby or Jim Crew. I think those would be great fights. Jacoby on his way up. Crude, a guy that's been up and down his career as well. Nice little fight night card. All finishes. You can't be mad about that. This weekend, another fight night card. This one location based in San Diego. 4 p.m. main card start on ESPN, so it is a little bit early. This card is not deep, not going to lie to you. And the prelims and main card is switched 10 times. I just gave up and stopped putting them in order. Uh, we're going to start off 
I believe this is now in the main card with Cynthia Calvillo, 35 years old with a 9-4 record and the number 12 next to her name, taking on Nina Nunez, 36 years old with a 10-7 record and the number 9 next to her name. Sorry about that. A little scratch, little scratchy throat. Now, this is a very important fight for both fighters. They're both on some skids. They're kind of like getting towards past that prime moment, especially, you know, these ladies are OGs. They've been fighting here. You know, they fought in women's UFC when women's UFC wasn't as cool. At this point in their careers, I believe it is must win. If they want to have a chance at at least climbing up the rankings and not just fighting to fight as like gatekeepers, you got to have a win here. Cynthia, she's got a background in BJJ, wrestling, and Muay Thai. She is on a three-fight losing streak, although it's been against the best in the division. She hasn't won since June of 2020. She's itching for it, and she is an LFA alum. Nina, she's got a third-degree black belt in Taekwondo. She's got a purple belt in BJJ. She is an Evicta alum on a two-fight losing streak of her own. She hasn't won since December of 2018, and four of her 10 wins are via knockout. I think Nina, you know, she's gone through a lot. She's gone through a lot with Amanda being champ champ. She had their baby. I just think uh, Cynthia is hungrier for a win here. I think she's also going to utilize her wrestling to eliminate some of the striking ability of Nina, although Cavillo can throw some hands herself. I think it's going to be a very close fight, unanimous decision, split decision maybe, but I'm going to go with Cynthia. I would avoid this on a parlay if possible. And then we have some more women in action. Angela Overkill Hill, 37 years old with a 13-12 and 12 record and the number 13 next to her name, taking on Lupi Godinez, 28 years old with an 8-2 and two record. Now these fighters are in pretty much completely different situations as Angela is the gatekeeper at this point. She's been fighting up coming, you know, fighting up and comers. She's kind of the gatekeeper. Um, and now she gets Godinez and this fight I think is going to be close. I think this is Lupi's toughest opponent to date though. So this is going to be a legit test. I did pick Angela on the last time. Didn't work out for me, but Angela is a true OG. I mean, she's the OG of OGs in women's MMA her, the Carla Sparzas, you get you get the point. She trains out of Alliance MMA. She's got a purple belt in BJJ. She's an ultimate fighter and Invicta alum as a former champion in Invicta. She's on a three-fight losing streak, and five of her 13 wins are via knockout. She does have the most bouts and decisions in women's strawweight division history. 20 bouts, 16 decisions. She also has the most losses in the, the division history with 12 and the most fight time with over four hours and 23 minutes. She does have a three and a half inch reach advantage and a leg reach advantage of three and a half as well. Now, Loopy, she's a purple belt in BJJ. She is a former LFA alum and champion. She has the fastest turnaround in modern UFC history with seven days. And she also has a record for the shortest span between three fights in modern UFC history. She had three fights in 42 days. And she is on a two-fight winning streak. 
If that doesn't scream a uh, prospect ready to bang, I don't know what else does. But I think Hill has looked solid in her past few fights, even though she's lost, most of them via decision. I think she is going to outstrike and really go to the wrestling tank here. She wants to win. She's going to get a win. It's going to be tough for Loopy. I don't know if she's handled that kind of aggressiveness in the wrestling. So I'm taking overkill Hill. And again, avoiding it in a parlay if necessary. If possible, I should say. But I believe, in fact, let's confirm that this is the main card opener. See if the UFC updates shit. They're not very good at it on their website. Only big complaint I have that the UFC is their website is trash. <clears throat> yep, so this looks like all those fights were on the prelims. This is the main card headliner. And some other fights are breaking down aren't on the main card, so it's a mess. But we have Bruno Blindado Silva, 33 years old, with a 22-7 and record, taking on Gerald GM3 Mirashart, 34 years old, with a 34-15 and record. This is going to be a banger. I can't wait for this fight. This is just one of those cases where you get two guys in their primes, they're veterans, they fought all the big names, and you know they're going to come and fucking bang. I mean, these guys are going to be aggressive. They know that both guys are going to come out the same way. And they're going to brawl. This is the shit you want to see. Modern gladiators. Bruno, he's a black belt in BJJ. He is an M1 alum and former champion. He is on a one-fight losing streak against Alex Pieta. Obviously, tough fight. Um, and he was on a seven-fight winning streak coming into that. 19 of his 22 wins are via knockout. Five of his seven losses are via submission. And two of his last three fights are performance of the night winners. That means, yo, I'm motherfucking box office. Now, Gerald, he's got a black belt in Rofu Sport Kickboxing. A black belt in BJJ. He's got the most submission wins in UFC middleweight history with eight. He is a former RFA alum and champion. He is on a one-fight losing streak after a three-fight winning streak. 26 of his 34 wins are via submission. Eight of his 15 losses are via submission as well. And he has a three-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. Now, Gerald is very durable. He finds himself in interesting spots. He always finds like that weird angle to get a submission. But Bruno's very well-rounded. I find him getting the finish in this fight. This is another performance of the night on his record. I'm taking Silva. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down. And you already know we getting that bread. Moving on. Supposedly, this is a prelim fight. Nope. This is the co-main. David, the silent assassin Onama. 28 years old with a pristine 10-1 record. Taking on Nate the Train Landwehr, 34 years old with a 15-4 record. Another big-time fight. Quality featherweights going at it. Onama literally just fought a month ago. He's a hyped-up fighter right now. He's on a two-fight winning streak and is 2-1 in the UFC. Six of his 10 wins are via knockout and four of them via submission. All 10 via fucking finish that screams potential he's on a one fight winning streak 
Eight of his 14 wins are via knockout. He trains at a glory MMA. While Nate is an M1 alum and former champion with two title defenses. He's on a one-fight winning streak. Eight of his 15 wins are via knockout. And two of his four losses are via knockout as well. Now, I really do think we're going to see another great showing from Onama. He's been training at Glory MMA. They're dialing him in. He's not quite in his prime yet, but he's going to show us how he's improved. He's going to try to move up those rankings early in his UFC career. For that reason, I'm taking Onama. I'm putting him on my parlay. We're marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have um, an early prelim fight technically here, but a great one. We get Odie, the Jamaican sensation, Osborne, 30 years old with an 11-4 and record, taking on Tyson Nam, 38 years old with a 20-12 and record. A fun fight. Again, the flyweight division, man, is getting some quality fighters. This is a fight of the night candidate, in my opinion. It's another step up for a guy who's scratching, scratching the surface in his prime in Odie. I mean, Odie's had some tough opportunities, right? They've tried to climb him up. He fought Manel Cop in 2021 and failed. Before he dropped to flyweight, he fought Brian Kelleher in January of 2021 and took an L there as well. But he trains out of syndicate MMA. He's got a purple belt in BJJ and kickboxing. He is a Dana White Contender Series and RFA alum. Five of his 11 wins are via knockout. Four via submission. So nine of his 11 fights via finish. He has a very impressive five-inch reach advantage and leg reach advantage. While Tyson, he is on a one-fight losing streak against Matt Schnell. 12 of his 21, 20 wins are via knockout. He fought in bantamweight previously. He is a World Series uh, a fighting king of the cage and elite XC alum. He's an OG at 38 years old, now in flyweight. I mean, I think this is going to... Tyson Nam is going to be a tough test for Odie. I think his reach of advantage is going to be huge. I believe he's ready to show off his hard work. He's been impressive lately. I think he gets the knockout, but this is going to be one where he gets tested early. He's going to have to grind out some wrestling, grappling attempts. But I'm taking the Jamaican sensation. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. And all these guys I'm picking on a parlay are pretty decent favorites. Odie at minus 245. Onama, 280. Silva, 285. So I'm not speaking anything crazy here. And then the main event. A very, very interesting main event. I give you guys the analysis. I break it down. I say how it is. I give you my picks, my props, my parlay. Whatever I got, I'm giving it to you. I am officially... You know, because of Montana, a massive Sean O'Malley fan, right? My favorite fighter before Sean O'Malley and since the retirement of BJ Penn has been Dominic Cruz. TJ Dillashaw is pretty close in there. All those guys are bantamweights, which is crazy. Jose Aldo is pretty high up there. I mean, technically, John Jones is my favorite fighter, but I mean, he doesn't really fight anymore, sadly. Uh, I feel like we've been robbed, you know, prime years of the best fighter of all time. That kills me. Um, so, you know, I am definitely having some biasy here and it's been hard to battle, 
But we get Marlon Cheeto Vera. And also being a Shad O'Malley fan, him and Cheeto's beef, you know, you kind of knock on Cheeto a little bit. 29-year-old fighter with a 19-7-1 record and the number five next to his name. Taking on Dominic the Dominator Cruz, 37 years old with a 24-3 record and the number eight next to his name. I think this main event will determine both of these fighters' futures. It's pretty simple. This is Dominic's last chance at a title run. And this is Marlon's first. Dominic had the MMA hour recently talking pre-fight, him and Cheeto both. And he said he's treating this like a, a title fight. It's a five-round fight. I mean, this is literally a title fight. And he knows how important this is for his career. Dom is one of the most dominant champions coming from the WEC into the UFC of all time. His footwork, the things that he's done, he's created a lot of things for other fighters to copycat as a blueprint. Him as an analyst, that's what I love him even more. He's sharp. He's got the IQ. He speaks into it. You can relate to him. I would love to break down some fights with him, have him on a future podcast as I go MMA only. The problem is the durability of Cheeto. Dominic could outscore him, outbox him, not get hit as much, but he could also start taking bigger shots where he wears the damage more. I could see this being very similar to the Rob Font Cheeto fight. I thought Rob Font outscored him three rounds, but the damage that he took versus the damage Cheeto didn't even look touched. And this guy is literally fucking as durable as they come. Dominic, though, looks like he's in a good headspace. He was talking about all those knee injuries he had to overcome, all the shit he's dealt with. And he's just like, you know, he surrenders it all. He could control what he control. He's not too worried about it. He wants to be the best version of himself. And I think we, we sneakily get impressed by Dom here. I just don't know in a five-round fight if he could out-durable Cheeto. Because let's say he lands 100 more strikes throughout the course of four rounds, but looks like a fucking meatball, and Cheeto looks like he hasn't been touched. That's hard for the judges to give the fight to Dom. Even though, in you know, most likely the, the scoring should go to Dom. I am a little worried about the wrestling of Cheeto to Dom as well. But golly, it's going to be a fun main event. Marlon, he's got a black belt in BJJ. He is an Ultimate Fighter Latin America alum. He has the most stoppage wins in UFC bantamweight history with nine. I did not know that. Very impressive. He is on a three-fight winning streak. Seven of his 19 wins are via knockout. Eight via submission. 15 of his 19 fights have been via finish. He has never been finished. And he has a two and a half inch reach advantage and leg reach advantage in this fight. He likes to kick. He likes to punch. Lots of advantages here for the lot younger fighter. Um, we're talking eight years in, in difference. Dominic trains out of Alliance MMA. He is a blue belt in BJJ, a WEC alum. He was the former champion with two title defenses. He was the 2010 Fighter of the Year, 2014 Comeback Fighter of the Year, 2000 through 2017 Analyst of the Year, three-time. Former UFC Bantamweight Champion with three successful title defenses, five title defenses in general. Most wins in UFC WEC Bantamweight history with 14. And he's on a two-fight winning streak both last year in 2021. The last one, very impressive, 
Pedro Munoz, 267. He won me some cash money. I just don't think as great of a place Cruz seems and he's got a lot going on. Usually as a fighter, you got a lot going on. It doesn't add up, right? He's an analyst. He's traveling. I'm sure he's focused on this one. He knows how important it is, but he's had a rehab from multiple injuries. He isn't too old, but he's old enough for me to be worried about the durability. And he's obviously had some moments where his chin that doesn't look like it's it, where it used to be. A la the Cody Garbrandt fights. He's taken damage in some fights. I mean, he fought TJ Dillashaw, Cody Garbrandt, Henry Cejudo. He's looked good. A four-year layoff. Not a lot of people can look like Dom has. He's mentally clear, sharp. Again, I just don't know. The durability concerns me. Cheeto's just entering his prime. He's confident. But that's why you got to watch the fight. I would put a money on Dominic Cruz just for fun at plus 200. Not a lot. Maybe try to find another dog in this fight to parlay. Like a Devin Clark or something. But I will pick Marlon. I would put him on my parlay. Sadly, I marked that ish down. But I would not sad be sad to take that bread. Know what I mean? But this is a fucking scrap, man. That's a scrap. That you can't not not be hyped about. The Bruno fights a scrap. Tyson Am, Odie, and the Flyweights. Two great women fights. Not a deep card, but some solid fights. But let's talk about next weekend. UFC 278, Salt Lake City Jazz Nation. Headlined by the Nigerian Nightmare. Kamara Usman, Leon Edwards, the second one. And it's a deep card. It's going to be a lot of fun. I love me some pay-per-view UFC. You can't beat it. I can't wait to do Fight Companion, stream this shit live, get a Twitch going. More to come. Let's go. Let's talk MLB. I'm still buzzing from that fucking Mariners game last night. though. That shit was wild. Mariners fans, on a Tuesday night, these guys are straight blacked out getting crazy. I'm like, damn, on a Tuesday? But I love watching pitchers do work. Luis Castillo, Garrett Cole, golly. The Cubs making some moves. They DFA Andrelton Simmons. Obviously, I know him as an Angels fan. Uh, he was a legendary player for us. Swaggy defense, not the best at bats. Got it going for a while. Um, good trade for the Angels, I think, though. The Cubs signed Fran Mill. Reyes, power hitter. The Cubs and Cardinals are playing in London next year for the first time in Europe since 2019. Big moves for Major League Baseball. The Phillies release D.D. Gregorius. So if you're the Angels right now, you're not probably making a playoff run. But are you going to tell me Vince Velasquez is better than Simmons and D.D. Gregorius? Those guys can play Swaggy D just like the Squid. I love the Squid's defense, man. But he cannot hit the fucking ball. Interested to see if those names cause it or, you know, open any eyes. They obviously tried Jonathan VR. I don't think he's the quality player of these guys. So we'll see. Denilson Lamette lands at the Rockies after getting claimed off waivers after the trade. Kershaw and the Dodgers just cannot quite stick it out. Kershaw back to the IL. 
The Blue Jays signing Jackie Bradley Jr. after being released from the Red Sox. Chris Sale, huge contract, finally recovers, out for the year after a biking accident. The memes are everywhere on Twitter. And then tomorrow, manana, Thursday, fill the dreams game, Cubs, Reds, the jerseys are sick as fuck. I would love to be in Iowa for a a field of dreams game. Why aren't the Angels there? Angels in the outfield. Come on now. If you build it, they will come. We'll talk about the standings, the scape of MLB, as well as what happened in the last weekend series, but I wanted to pull this up. The Nationals, man. I had tickets to go watch the Nationals in my season tickets. We just exchanged them back for money because why would you want to watch the Nationals right now without Juan Soto? And the fact that they had Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, and Juan Soto. And they're all gone. Angels fans being tough, but sometimes you got to practice gratitude that you're not a Nationals fan. Or a Redskins fan. Actually, Guardian or Commanders fan. (laughs) The shit they have to deal with, man. But let's look at the standings. AL East dominant by the Yankees. 11 ahead of the Blue Jays. 15 ahead of the Rays. I mean, the AL East, you would imagine, will beat themselves up. But as it stands, they have three teams in the playoffs, and the Orioles are a half a game back. They're right there. Could you imagine a division putting four teams in the playoffs? Fucking bonkers. AL Central, the Twins are a game ahead of the Guardians. The Twins are four and six in their last ten. Guardians, five and five. White Sox only two out, but they just lost Tim Anderson for six weeks. Late September at the earliest. Not looking good. The White Sox cannot stay healthy. Been there before. It's not fun. Astros slump in four and six of their last 10, but still 11 ahead in the AL West. And they are only a few games back of the Yankees. In the NL, Braves are uh, Mets two and a half ahead of the Braves. Both teams are seven and three in their last 10. And they are 10 ahead of the Phillies. But the Phillies are in the wild card spot. So are the Padres. The Brewers are a game back. Giants six and a half. So it looks like the Brewers are going to be the only team battling the Padres, Braves, and Phillies for the playoffs. And in the AL, the Twins are a game back. Um, White Sox two and a half. But I guess it's going to be Twins, Rays, Orioles, and Mariners battling for those spots. That's going to be a lot of fun. The Brewers, two games uh, ahead of the Cardinals in the NL Central. Why? It says the Cardinals are ahead of them here. Hmm. That should be the Cardinals in the wild card then, right? Oh, nope. The Brewers, a game back of the Cardinals. I don't know why that was not refreshed. Anyways, um, the Brewers battling four and six in their last 10. The Cardinals eight and two. Josh Hader, newly acquired Padre, blown save, three runs earned last night. That's interesting. The Dodgers, 16 ahead of the Padres. Golly, man, 76 wins. Fucking Dodgers. I knew once you saw that lineup, you're just like, they're going to be good, and I hate it. And they're probably going to get Otani next year. Even more brutal. Um, but the Padres are literally only a game ahead of the Brewers. That would be hilarious if the Padres missed the playoffs. 
Padres going all in. I'm not a big fan. I'm sure the fans are excited with all the big names they have, but you better watch out. If you don't win the next couple of years, it's going to be brutal. Can you sign Juan Soto? I highly doubt you could sign him and Bell. Shit's interesting. You know what I mean? Um, This past weekend, though, we had the Mets beat the Braves 3-1. to one. Big brother, little brother situation right there. Astros splitting with the Guardians. The Guardians just keep winning, and I'm not too sure how. The Twins split with the Blue Jays 2-2. Two two. Angels split with the Mariners 2-2. Two two. I watched the Friday game. Angels did work. Reed Detmers looking like a future ace. I'm happy with the split. They play in L.A. next week. Cardinals sweep the Yankees 3-0. Yankees on a slump, but they don't cur. Dodgers sweeping the Padres again. Brutal for the Padres. This weekend, some decent series in store. The Guardians traveling to Toronto to play the Blue Jays. Both teams battling for playoff positioning. AL East head-to-head battle. The Rays hosting the Orioles. Both teams are right there in the division and playoffs. Red Sox hosting the Yankees. The rivalry. Obviously, the Red Sox slipping. Devers on the IL, not looking good for them. The Mets hosting the Phillies. We'll see how the Phillies can compete. The Cardinals hosting the Brewers. That's a massive series in St. Louis on ESPN Plus on Friday. The Angels hosting the Twins. See if the Angels can play spoiler as we are 48-63. and 63. That is, golly, damn disgusting. So some great series happening this week. Lots of action in MLB. Let's talk some NFL. They want a one-year suspension plus a fine for Deshaun Watson. Uh, Roger Goodell is trying to make that happen, but um, it announced that Deshaun Watson will start in the preseason debut on Friday, so that'll be interesting. I just looked at the phone to see that. Quick MLB update. The Tigers fire general manager Al Avila amid a very disappointing season, and yeah, I'm not surprised about that one whatsoever. Cowboys signing Anthony Barr, the four-time Pro Bowler, only 30 years old. Although 30 in the NFL, you're like washed. But I still think he has some left. Huge move for him. Veteran, defensive, uh, uh, pass rusher. I like that a lot. Deontay Johnson getting a two-year $36.7 million deal. Amazing move by um, Omar Khan, in my opinion. Great move for the team and Deontay. But Deontay sets up his football camp, no-shows his own youth football camp, and supposedly is sued in federal court for allegedly no-showing. How do you not show up to your own football camp? You just got paid, too. I, I mean, this is some crazy shit. And how does that go to federal court? The Saints signed Kiko Alonso. He has not played since 2019 due to injuries. An elite middle li- uh, linebacker before injury. will be interesting to see if he could turn it around if he does. Just makes that defense even better. They'll need it as Jameis Winston is battling a foot injury. He cannot stay healthy. I just don't think Jameis was meant to be a star uh, starting quarterback, sadly. Can't catch a break. Uh, Kareem Hunt requests a trade after not receiving an extension from the Browns. I'm not surprised about that either. Uh, But who else wants Kareem Hunt who is beating up women? Lots of bad things in the headlines. Supposedly Frank Gore with an altercation. I don't even want to talk about it. It sounded brutal. Makes me sick to my stomach. Um, Raven signed Justin Tucker four years, $24.5 million, 17.5 guaranteed cash money in the bank. Highest paid kicker of all time. Him 
and Chris Boswell, AFC North rivals. Love to see it. The Jets 2020 first round pick, Mekki Becton, out for the year with a broken right kneecap. Brutal news for them as they need linemen. Down goes Frazier. First episode of Hard Knocks last night. You know, I'm hyped up from the game. I said, fuck it, I want to watch it. I love me some Hard Knocks. The film quality, the camera work, the intro, mixed weight training with the Detroit, you know, the Ford company and the motors. Oh, I loved it. I love their coach, man. I mean, he, he seems to be great. He, I always feel the best coach or managers are the people that have been in the role, and they can translate that into to leading a team. He played. He's a veteran. He is true to who he is. He is what the Detroit Lions need. The ja Jamal Williams in the huddle hype up. Golly, that was great. He his Half of his staff is ex-football players. Deuce Daly, Antoine Randall as a Steelers fan. He loved to see it. It's going to be a sweet season, man. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if they could, you know, they won three games last year, if they could step it up. But I loved his analogy. You know, we're the team that we're going to battle as long as it takes until we get you into the depths of the ocean. We're going to pull you down when you're ready to give up. You can't tread water. We're treading water. We're sinking your ass. They're not going to outskill or out-talent any team. They're going to have to grind, play smash mouth football, run it up your fucking throat until you can't defend it. DeAndre Swift to the house. You know what I mean? Jared Goff ain't going to win you big time games. So I love the idea. I love the analogy. Let's see if it can translate. But I'm super pumped for the rest of Hard Knocks. There was some very quality footage there. And the in-season Hard Knocks with the Cardinals. Kyler Murray extension. Hopkins suspension. Fuck yeah, if you're football fans. Football's back, baby! Other hitters in the world of sports. Sports. Paige Beckers tears her ACL. Bad, bad news. Paige Beckers is legit. Speedy recovery. Blessings to you. Russia sentences Brittany Griner to nine years in prison after Joe Biden tried to trade her for a Russian arms dealer. That shit's crazy. That's all I got to say. Nine years. Uh, shit should be legal. I'm not too uh, sure what's going on. Hopefully we can get her back into the States. Brutal news. Oklahoma just cannot, you know, shit's just hitting the fan, man. Kel Gundy, a legendary wide receivers coach, has to step down or is removed after a film room incident with racial slurs. He read a player's iPad or something like that. Um, and yeah, so uh, Venables had to let him go. Um, wide receiver has been a great position for the Sooners. They've coached him up. I'm sure he will be missed. Big 10 leaving ESPN for Fox Sports while CBS and NBC will stream their basketball. Huge moves for them. I don't really care. Fuck ESPN. I like Fox Sports myself. Serena Williams to retire after the Open. Her history career coming to an end. She is the quote, the greatest women of all time, in my opinion. Blessings to Serena. I loved the King Richard movie as well. I mean, uh, it's just weird. You get older as a sports fan and you see these types of people leaving the sports. You know, I'm, I'm trying to soak up every little bit of Nadal that I can, a little bit of Tiger Woods. It's just, you, you know, I'm, I'm 30 years old, guys. All my guys are leaving. My childhood idols. Either way, episode motherfucking 95. Ugh. Got my subs, you know, I'm taking that field supplements. You know, I, you heard you, you got to make sure to check them out. If you haven't go to fieldsupplements.com. Do it right now. You're hearing this shit. 
tune in, look it up. You'll see, oh, good quality. Ooh, good pricing. Ooh, put that discount in there. People helping people. Let's go. We'll see you guys next week.